Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to episode four of the pod. Today, we have our guest, Joe Nielsen, uh, who we'll talk about in a moment. Before we get ahead of ourselves, though, it's the rambly part of the pod. Josh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I hope our listeners are staying safe out there. So what have you been up to this week, Jack? Oh, oh, flipping it around. That's right. I'm flipping the script. Oh, we've passed halfway point in the series. Now we're flipping it around. Yeah, yeah. Bet you're sweating now, aren't you? (laughs) You have no idea what to say. No, um, I've actually this week, as well as, you know, inevitable thesis writing, fun, Mm. fun, fun. Mm-hmm. I've been getting back into computer games. Uh, so That's fantastic bought... news. It is, isn't it? It's yes. a lot of fun. Oh, what um, games have you been into? Well, quite a variety. So me and my brother have been playing on FIFA. We have a healthy rivalry over that. We've mm-hmm. been doing a thing where basically we play games as... Uh, we go through alphabetically the Premier League. and if We both start on Arsenal. And if you win the game, you move on to the next team. If you don't, you stay on that team. Oh, that's a cool idea. So you have to deal with different skill levels. Exactly. Each different team. Ah, yeah. interesting. I was I was stuck on, I think, Burnley for far too long because uh-huh. they're difficult to play with. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that's been fun because it gives you an extra incentive. It's not just like, oh, I've got to beat my brother. It's like, oh my goodness, I've got to win. I don't want to have to be this team again. Yeah, no, it makes it, it adds stakes. I like it. Mm. Is that just the Premiership, or is it all the teams? So we've just been doing it with the Premier Premier League because it's just easy. You basically just go on and click along until yeah. you're at a team. But you can do it of any league, really. Wow. Um, yeah, I've been uh, in my solo time. I've been um, playing Shadow of War, which I bought a long time ago. Now started it and then like stopped after a bit. Mm-hmm. And I love that because I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And yeah. granted, it kind of you know, poops on the law, uh, the law of Lord of the Rings a bit. Yeah, it's, it's just a fun game. I, it's a very good game. I heard the same thing about Shadow of Mordor, which I played. Um, and people told me that, and I was like, I don't care. This game's really fun. It's like oh yeah, fun like game. well, that's the thing. I think it's got license to do wherever it likes because mm-hmm. it's a fun game. I think it Shadow of Mordor does it a lot less. Really, all you've got to do is come to terms with the fact that. There was a ranger elf hybrid, which granted that's a big leap, but um, <laughs> well, that sounds awesome. How how is, is anyone really cool. disa- how is anyone disappointed with that concept? It's such a good concept because, because people like to stick with you know what's possible in the world. I mean, it's never said explicitly that it's not possible. True, true. Um, it's just a little you know heavy on it. Um, but then in the second in the second game, it's like none of this is real in the law. <laughs> none of this should happen. Why is Shelob a woman? Why is there an elf that can do magic? Um, so uh, yeah. I imagine at the end of the game, like your character just wakes up and goes, "That was one crazy dream, eh? <laughs> I think that wasn't real." Well, <laughs> the thing, the thing that you've always got to remember about these games is like, you know what? If you know the lore of Lord of the Rings, you know what happens in the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And it's not good. So it is effectively like, oh, well, all this happened, but it made no difference. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I've been very much enjoying that game just because the gameplay is fun. And I love the fact that the gore in it is so over the top because it's not against another human. Yeah, it's with orcs. So so it's allowed. They're not real. (laughs) (laughs) Their blood's black. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the guy literally chops another orc in half with a shield. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. And then I've also been playing on The Division with uh, one of my other friends. Um, oh, I've never, never played that. I genuinely really enjoy it because I like Splinter Cell's cover system. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and it's kind of that built in with like playing missions with your friends. All oh, right, um, we should Jack. We should get on PlayStation at some point. <laughs> we we really should. should. I can't really believe we have actually played together. I've I've asked you multiple times to friend me, and you just never, you never ever want to reciprocate. Not yeah, totally. Well, tell me your name now, and I'll completely write it down, and I'll definitely add you later. I'll tell you over the podcast <laughs> right now, along with my yeah. password and email. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, no, uh, but that's, but yeah. really, that's really cool, The Division. That's really cool. Yeah, I, it, it, it's a fun game. Uh, oh, nice. I mean, granted, The Division 2 is out, so we're a bit behind the times, but I always am with games. Yeah. <laughs> so am yeah. I. I have been lately as well. I'm about a year behind in terms that I'm playing at the minute. Yeah, I think The Division may have come out, like, a good few years ago, though. So yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm much, I'm kind of just as bad. I'm playing Uncharted Four at the minute, no. which is a game that's about four years old, I think. Well, I mean, to be fair, like you know, they bring out these games and they bring out loads of content, and then they're like, "Oh, here's a new game," because they think that uh, people complete it, and some people do. But if you're not yeah, yeah. a mad gamer, then you need time to complete these things, and you want to get the most out of the experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard, I heard a crazy. St- statistic and it was about around about a quarter of players who a quarter of uh, like console players complete their games on, mm. on average and it's like an insanely small number which is insane to me like the amount of people just move on to a new game without yeah. completing it i mean that's you can play however you want of course yeah of course but it's just but, um, I, you know you're spending 40 50 maybe even 60 quid on a game nowadays you want to be able to play it all the way through know, and I, you want there to be enough content there yes i'm I'm very much like get as much out of it as you can, yeah. like you know, get as many hours out of it as you can. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah that's 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 great, Jack. Get re rekindling your love of games is always great. I am indeed. Yes. How about you? What have you been up to? Uh, well, um, I've been reading Foundation by Isaac Asimov. Ooh, yeah, good book. Yeah, I swear, I swear, I don't um finish a book within a week as often as I do. Our listeners may think, my God, how many? How does he read so much? I don't. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I just, I just, I'm very much lately been rather timely with my book completion. Um, but my God, what a great book! What an absolutely fantastic book that is. So brilliant! Um, and yeah. I can't believe how well it makes you, how how emotionally involved you are with the characters, given how little time you really spend with them. I know each each of the parts because the parts are separated into chapters, but each part is around thirty, forty pages at most. Yeah, and it's and, spread across thousands of years. Yeah, it's so cool. I, I've, I'm only halfway through, so I'm only hundreds of years. Um, but um, it's it's incredible how mm. how yeah, like how you said, how much you care about these characters that you spend relatively little time with. Um, but it's cool because you. Set, you get um, a sense of the repercussions of their actions across years and how this affects yeah. humanity and how we think about things. And that's incredibly cool to see that just laid out in front of you. It's something that it's something that very few people like think about. Um, mm-hmm. The fact of how history affects the present. Um, and yeah, it's it's fantastic. And it's all very much, you know, scientifically ideological and you know, it's very cool to to read, to read that sort of very hopeful book about science. Yeah, it is scientifically ideological, but it's also, it has that sci-fi element of the science that they're doing is predictive. Yeah. Um, and where you can kind of see into the future and all, and you say it's scientifically ideal, ideal, ideological, but it isn't, it isn't because yeah. the things that they do to make what they want to happen, happen is not scientific. Mm-hmm. They have just they they have they have used the science to come to an answer that they think will further humanity, and they're like, we will do anything 
but we will do what we can to get that to come to pass. But then we'll get to a certain point where we have to do what we have to do, and exactly, yeah. that's that was part of the plan, um, which, which sort of so links cool. it, which sort of links it in with religion in a way. Mm. Um, and there's a part in the book where um, scientists thought of in certain cultures as more of a religion, and that's how you get them to accept it easier, which is an incredibly interesting concept. Um, well, but, well, yeah. well, well, on that topic, yeah, is it about them getting to accept it easier, or is it just about furthering the plan? Yeah. Yeah, but that's, I think that's the wonderful part because it's, it's a constant discussion, which is the nature of science. It's just a constant, constant discussion on what is the correct conclusion. Mm. Well, because, yeah, because um, if you've got to the part where with the enlightenment kind of thing with the religion. Um, I've gotten to the part where um, priests are a thing. And yes. How to imply, but that's all I'm up to, really. Mm. Um, but I don't want to spoil it too much for our listeners in case they're thinking about reading it. No, no, you def- I mean, that definitely doesn't spoil it at all. Um, yeah. It's literally the first step mm-hmm. uh, from the, you know, the, the point of the book. Um, and and we'll, we'll chat about this once you've finished it. So expect yes. this episode five or episode six. <laughs> we're talking about Foundation because it's an excellent book. It really is. And we'd ha- mm-hmm. I'd highly recommend it to our listeners out there. If, yeah. they, if they want a bit of sci-fi in their life, definitely mm-hmm. Foundation. Well, it was actually voted a better trilogy, was Foundation and the other two books, than Lord of the Rings. Really? Yeah, by uh, by readers, I think. So it, it is an excellent series. But without further ado, shall we get on to talking about Joe? Yes, let's. An incredibly interesting subject to talk about. He is. I mean, he's been, you know, he's been our friend for a few years now, and I did not realise he'd had such an interesting life. It was, it was really cool talking kept, to him. He's kept so much from us. He really, so. he's, well, he's just so quiet and unassuming. <laughs> and he'll just, he'll like, he'll, he, he shared a lot with us, and yeah. he's that kind of a guy where he'll, he'll talk, he'll happily talk about himself if you ask him questions, but he's quite happy to learn about other people and other things. Yeah, yeah. He's a lovely man. Anyway, yeah. So Joe Nielsen, he's um. A final year PhD student with Brian Darby, so University of Manchester, interested in solution process 2D materials for flexible and printed electronics, which you'll hear I have trouble remembering in the podcast. <laughs> I don't think I get it right once. <laughs> it's a lot it's a lot of words, which to be fair, Joe explains in a really nice way. Yeah. And and he um, explains that you're wrong in a very nice way as well. Which he does. Is, He's so lovely, Joe. Which is an excellent is an excellent uh, characteristic to have in a scientist. You can say that again, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I found it. I found talking to Joe really interesting about kind of his life, the different path that he's taken. Because obviously he. Um, Josh knew this beforehand. I didn't. Uh, he he didn't go straight from degree to PhD like a few of our previous guests, like Quentin and uh, Lorraine, and even Tammy did. Yeah. Um, he kind of took a more circuitous route to a PhD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's incredibly an incredibly varied career he's had so far, mm. which it makes it incredibly interesting. He's, and also, just so many fields that he's worked in as well. Yeah, is... and that that led us on to talking about quite a few different things. I mean, we you know we spoke a little bit about working at a pharmaceutical company, mm-hmm. a tiny bit about animal testing, talking about quantum dots. Yeah, and um, there's just a, yeah a lot to talk about, and it was a really really interesting conversation. Also, the business the business side of being involved in a startup as well, and some of the issues that startups have in their in their life in their lifetimes as well. So, if anyone's interested in any startup you know, 
work or some startup info, info then this is also a great podcast to listen to as well. So yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of good, a lot of good stuff in this interview, I think. A lot of good oh. stuff. Oh, but really? yeah, we, we really hope you enjoy and we'll uh, speak to you again next week. Yep. See you guys. Bye. <laughs> Joe, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to come on this podcast and for uh, you know putting aside some time to chat to us. As an introduction to kind of who you are uh, and what you do, can you tell us about the work that you do currently? Yeah, so I'm currently in uh, Professor Brian Darby's group, um, and uh, I'm working on um, solution process 2D materials for print and electronics. Okay, so that's that's a lot of fancy words. Um, <laughs> a lot of which I don't understand. <laughs> so solution printed, uh, solution 3D, processed, solution solution processed, three D yep. printed electronics. Uh, so, solution processed two D materials for printed. Electronics. Okay, I got that completely wrong. Um, <laughs> so what what do all of those things mean? So um, solution processed is just um, sort of the ability to be able to handle um, things uh, as, a, as a liquid or in solution. Um, yep. 2D materials are the new branch of materials uh, stemming from um, the discovery of graphene uh, at Manchester Uni. And uh, printed electronics um, is basically just uh, electronics that have been printed. So you can use um, inkjet printers or sort of roll-to-roll -roll printers um, uh, and basically print off onto sort of various different substrates, um, various uh, electronic devices, so like capacitors and transistors. And so is, is your project to do with trying to get wearable electronics or is there some other kind of application? Because I know one of the big things that uh, you see a lot of days is, you know, people being able to have like their the phone on their sleeve or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, that's a general... Um, so that does pop up in the introduction of a lot of my talks, etc. Um, like lovely looking images of like people, yeah, just like wearing a phone wrapped around their wrist. Yeah, I guess that's that's one of the areas um, of sort of future technology that gets people like excited about yeah. electronics. I guess, yeah. So how how far away are we from from that? Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know whether or not I've got us any closer as well. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure that's not true right okay so um that's what you do you do uh, kind of printing 2d materials so how did you get into that like if we if we go back to the very start why why science uh, why why did you start to do science Ooh, that is a good question but i actually uh i actually do remember the exact time that i started oh, wow. back in science. <laughs> wow. so that's, that's very rare <laughs> It was twelve oh six on the sixteenth of May, two thousand five. Yeah, no, it was um, it was it was it was primary school, and um, and we were doing um, the uh, what year is it that you're in? So you're six before you go into uh, secondary school, right? Yep. And um, and we did a final exam sort of thing. Obviously, it didn't really mean anything. It felt like it meant a lot back then, but now looking back on it, it really didn't. But Joe, it I, meant everything. Yeah, it meant everything to me at the time, yeah. But I, I got, uh, we did a science exam and I came like top of the class and then I just remember feel, feeling really proud of myself and sort of just like got into, sort of started enjoying it really from there and then once you enjoy something, I guess like it all sort of just uh, falls into place a little bit. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
So you definitely had the feeling of enjoying being good at something and then that gave you more fuel to add to the fire, really. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, remembering that it was only like, it was only um, primary school level. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, wasn't, I wasn't actually that good at it. It was just, I, I guess it seemed, <laughs> seemed better well, than everyone else. <laughs> I suppose you were good at it. You were just good at what you'd been taught, which at that point wasn't, you know, that there were such things as atoms. Um, yeah. <laughs> But so yeah, so from that age, you kind of gravitated towards science. So did you do like, I'm assuming at high school and A levels, you did sciences. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I always, uh, I guess you're sort of forced to do it for GCSE level. Um, <laughs> you can do, it, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think I think uh, sometimes hard to remember. So you, you could do like one one GCSE in it, or two, or three, like for the double award or triple award when I was when I was there. Yeah, and. Um, and I chose to do double, so it's not exactly like I was, yeah, I wasn't like, I wasn't doing triple, so I wasn't like doing as much as, as others, but I, I still really enjoyed it. And it's the great, I got the best grade out of all my GCSEs um, nice. in science, which was because it was a, a double thing. I got, I got two and I got, a, I got a B in that. So it was, um, yeah, right. my highest grade. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that, that made you choose to, did you do the three sciences then at A level or did you do a mixture of different things? Yeah, A level. Yeah, so I did uh, physics, chemistry, and biology. Nice. And then, um, and I started out doing engineering as well, but um, the course sort of it wasn't a thing. It was a, it, it sort of um, it was very disorganised, and uh, I guess yeah, it was only it was only a course for one year, and then and then the, the college dropped it. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. Oh, they could, they could have lost. You could have been the next great Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Joe, <laughs> had a better uh, engineering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's the that that's I think that's that's a lot of a lot of people. So I know I think Josh is the same as me. It was the you know you were like oh, I'll do three sciences because I was good at them and I kind of enjoy them, mm-hmm. as opposed to actually any any other great greater love of the subject. Although you know you you enjoyed the subject, it wasn't like I'm meant to be a scientist. It was yeah, just, sure. Not like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah doing physics chemistry biology what did you how did you go from that choice to doing a degree why why did you go to university um that's a good question actually um i guess i guess i just i guess i just kind of enjoyed doing it so i just wanted to take it to the next level and and it, it did i guess i'm going to say as well it's obviously quite it's uh it's quite exciting sort of like leaving home and like being independent yeah. and stuff and I suppose, like, you're, you're of a similar age to us in that that is almost, if you're doing a subject like that, that is almost the expected next step. Yeah. Uh, unless true. you are, unless you want to be a plumber or some kind of physical labour job, you very much are, well, what are you, what, what, which university are you going to as opposed to are you going to university? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, I think you're right. Yeah, it's a sort of, um, not forced, but just sort of like the natural next step. Yeah, the, the yeah, expected yeah. next step and you kind of just fall into it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's what the whole A levels geared up to, isn't it? Is which universities you're applying for and how mm. you can get there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. what, what did you study at university? Out of kind of the physics, chemistry, biology, which of those did you choose? Uh, chemistry was my choice. <laughs> Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I really enjoy chemistry. Uh, I um, I remember yeah the potassium in water experiment. Remember that well and. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted more of that, really. Yeah. <laughs> That's so weird. I remember that as well. <laughs> I also yeah. remember that. And then I, I'm assuming you both remember being severely disappointed when there was no more of that. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, turns some, it turns out someone did that to figure out what would happen, and now we know, and there's no need to do that. <laughs> we don't need to do that. We need to do complex uh, organic synthesis, which involves putting some stuff in a flask and heating it up. <laughs> yeah, it does get a little bit less spectacular. It's kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah they, definitely, so, they definitely wore you in with those first few experiments. It's almost like they know what they're doing. Yes. <laughs> so where did, where did you do it? Where, where, where did you go to university? Uh, Manchester Metropolitan Uni. So, ah. um, yeah, uh, I, I had just enough UCAS points to get into there. <laughs> <laughs> as good a reason as any? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So are you from around Manchester? Is that why you kind of went to Manchester or was there any great reason? Um, I liked the idea of Manchester. Uh, I was into like rock music when I was at college and I knew that there was a lot of cool bands out of Manchester and, and, I, and I knew that it was just like a cool city in general. And, and it was sort of like just about far enough away from my parents that I had some independence, but like <laughs> just close enough that... I could maybe drive over with some dirty washing if I needed to. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is the, the perfect, yeah. the, the university radius. Uh, yeah. I remember my brother went to Sheffield and we're from Cheshire. So that was exactly the same kind of close enough, but not too close. Yeah. He had, he had the benefit of having the Pennines in the way. So uh, yeah. we couldn't visit too often. <laughs> Great. So then what did you do after university? I, I started job hunting and I initially uh, found the first job I found um, was uh, a temporary position at AstraZeneca, oh, cool. um, which was um, I was really happy to be there because yeah I'd heard I'd heard about AstraZeneca I'd sort of seen it in like graduate themes and stuff and I thought oh that'd be a nice place to work and I was, I was really into like organic chemistry at the time and although my 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 role wasn't like as an actual organic chemist at AstraZeneca mm. I was still excited to be like around the people that were doing that and see like how it works and stuff yeah because you did i if, I'm, if i remember rightly you did a kind of organic chemistry kind of project towards the end of your masters didn't you yeah yeah so that was my that was my final um yeah dissertation was, was on in uh, was on organic chemistry and the synthesis of this molecule that could be used as a backbone to synthesize uh, sort of a family of molecules that come from this plant which which yeah this plant had been and extracted these alkaloids from this plant and found that they had like these exciting like properties like anti-cancer and cool and uh, various mm. other things and and they all yes. had the same backbone so basically yeah, just to make the the backbone that you could easily synthesize all these molecules from make the making making the precursor yeah exactly yeah, yeah. cool yeah. well that, that sounds like a very natural kind of if you enjoyed that project then astrazeneca is the kind of mm -hmm. perfect company to to move into so what, what did you do at astrazeneca so yeah, my job was within the compound management department, which basically because the company AstraZeneca is such a like well-oiled machine in terms of like researching and producing like drugs, they they had an actual department that would um, that was just sort of there to um, facilitate the organic chemists, and and my job was basically to uh, to look after the chemicals that the organic chemists had made, to basically test the test the uh, um test them after a certain period of time to look at what mm. their lifetimes were and also just to like help out in terms of um weighing out the compounds that the, the chemist would need for the next day of work and taking them and so basically delivering them into their sort of pigeonhole in their lab so that they 
they didn't even have to weigh out the chemicals. So I was I was basically the one that weighed out their chemicals. <laughs> that sounds real nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to weigh out chemicals. <laughs> yeah, to say it's honestly to say it's a well-oiled machine at that company is uh, a bit of an understatement, really. Yeah, really, yeah, really, yeah. Really, yeah. Wow. wow. So that is quite. It sounds like quite a distance from solution process 2D materials uh, for printing. Yeah, <laughs> I so, mean, yeah, it kind of is, but I, I guess in every in every role that I've had, like in industry and uh, and at uni, I've always had to weigh things out. So it's good <laughs> <laughs> to get some more experience weighing things out. Yeah. <laughs> You're now an expert weigher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's not a slimming world group. Uh, no. <laughs> um, so how I'm guessing I'm guessing that job had its certain had a certain monotony to it, or did you enjoy your time there? yeah i i did i enjoyed my time and it was because um yeah it was it was it was actually quite varied i mean i know i'm um yeah just saying i was just waiting things out it was it was actually more varied there was um yeah there was uh opportunities for me to like learn other techniques that i'd not sort of um had much experience with like um mass spec and um liquid chromatography and and I guess they were sort of they were these exciting projects always ongoing. Uh, they had this one machine. I remember it was uh, I can't remember what they call it now. I've not. I've sort of I've actually tried researching it since working there because it was it was so interesting to me at the time. But what they did was they get these sort of plates and they have these well plates. They get maybe like 256 wells in a plate, and each one has like a drop of um, like a, a, a solution in there. Mm. And then this instrument that they put it into basically has has the like it it it, it it uses acoustic waves that it fires from underneath the uh, underneath the solution, and that sort of uh, the force of this acoustic wave is enough to sort of expel a tiny droplet of uh, of the solution up and and into uh, the well of a, of another player. And so basically, you can get these tiny, tiny little uh, droplets of solution, um, and you can use those as a sort of uh, um, a trial to, to t sort of test the drug, and you put put like a a few a few cells or whatever say like liver cells or or cancer cells into the uh, into the well and then see how the the drug reacted with it and i guess it's just a way of like being really frugal with the small amount of compound mm. that you've got mm -hmm. um and yeah yeah because yeah, as an organic chemist you are you are working with milligrams thousands of the grams mm -hmm. of kind of that you've spent years trying to get to so i suppose yeah. that, that that sounds like a very useful method the yeah yeah Sorry, I was just going to say the role you're in really sounds like a um, kind of quality control come lab tech come uh, analytical chemist, like yeah. a true smorgasbord of uh, chemistry roles. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really good. Uh, it was actually a really good intro to the sort of industry, and I got to because I was sort of going around and delivering these things uh, sometimes on like night shifts as well, delivering the compounds for the for the next day for these organic chemists. Like I did, I got to see like sort of all of the site basically i got access mm. to all the site i got to walk around there at night and i was the only one there and it was it was, it was actually really interesting yeah that's real cool that's real it must it must have it must have been like a real learning experience as well to sort of discover a cog of the machine that you didn't even know existed yeah yeah, yeah it really was a learning experience and and like yes yeah, i could probably talk about the company for ages it's so interesting <laughs> <laughs> The the uh, the kennels as well were interesting. I don't know if this is maybe this is uh, maybe this podcast might be uh, I don't know it might it might ruffle some feathers talking about testing on animals. But um, yeah, but yeah. Well, it's, it's, if, if if you're not comfortable, you can always take it out. It's fine. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I guess I guess it's I guess it's probably worth talking about because like 
I guess it it does happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's and every now and again, like it's, it's like when I was trying to leave the site, like at a sort of normal time, maybe like six ish something. Uh, there there would be like a bunch of people outside, sort of picketing um, for the again like against the uh, the testing on animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but from from an insider, you know, like from someone that works there, and obviously I didn't, I wasn't the one that was actually administering these drugs to the to the animals. But I did see like um, the sort of living conditions of these dogs um, <clears throat> that were there, and um, yeah, I mean, it was sort of this like little compound in the middle of the building. People say they don't get to see the sky, but it it was actually sort of an open compound, so they did get to see the sky. They didn't get to leave the the compound, but the compound itself was quite massive and it was like multi-levels and sort of lots of things for the dogs to sort of play with and do lots mm. of uh, so I guess yeah they don't live as full of life as a, a pet dog but it's still a very uh, uh still a very accommodating uh to the, as, as much accommodating as, as possible you know yeah yeah I know yeah. Um, I have I'd, I've spoken to one of my family members who actually looked after the animals um uh it might have actually been AstraZeneca um yeah. Because they 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 very much that was their job to look after them and to make sure that they were healthy, happy as as you know as much as possible. Yeah, and there's a huge amount of like government regulation as well when with regards to testing on animals. So there is there's a lot of um, there's a lot of safeguards with regards to the rights of animals, which is which is the right thing. So yeah, and yeah, and I think it's the that that strange almost difference between testing on animals for cosmetics which i mean i'm, I'm fully against uh, and mm. i'm sure you know you both are it's kind of to testing on animals for drugs it's it's a much it's a it's a different ball game yeah yeah i think definitely. yeah yeah mm. um so uh, so joe what did you do after you left that role at astrazeneca what did you move on to do after that yeah so um i uh i i yeah so i actually left that role early so that was um that was a temporary contract um i think it's supposed to be for one year um but i i left after nine months because i found a new job at um at a company called nanoco technology which is um it was actually a spin-out company of um uh university of manchester and it came out of paul o'brien's group who uh who passed away recently um but he was he was a chemist at University of Manchester, and and mm-hmm. the company itself was was uh, was was uh, brought about um, based off of this new method that they had developed to to make uh, quantum dots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so what is a quantum dot? Yeah. So I was waiting for that question. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so so a quantum dot is um, is a is a nanoparticle which um, which is made of a semiconducting material. And it fluoresces, so basically, uh, like a fluorescent dye, I guess you you shine a you shine an excite uh, you shine some light in there, and this excites the uh, the the, uh, the electrons inside the, the semiconductor. And based on the size of the nanoparticle, it, it emits a certain color. So you can you can actually tune the um, the emission um, wavelength, uh, the color that it emits, um, mm-hmm. by changing the size of these nanoparticles. So uh, so there's a lot of yeah a lot of hype in the uh, scientific literature and with regards to these like nanoparticles um, because they're so so sort of tunable and uh, cool. tunable is a big buzzword or whatever. Yeah. 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 See it, you uh, see it in a lot of literature. Literature just means ah you yeah. can we can maybe maybe control it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Like you only want one process. You want to be able to do many different things or sort yeah. of, uh, 
cover all the bases with just one sort of process. So, so what yeah. did you do? What did you do at Nanotech then? Yeah, so um, so I so I started out there uh, when I first started there. It was um, I went to the uh, uh, production team, and and so basically we were all making sort of we would get this uh, the recipes from research, and that, the recipes had gone through scale up, and, and then they come on to uh, the production team um, where I was, and we basically just had to get the recipe which was working on these like small one liter vessels. To work on the bigger like 20 liter 30 liter 50 mm. liter vessels mm-hmm. and um and there's a lot of uh yeah it's kind of just like um you are getting someone else's recipe and um and trying to work that through that one but there's a lot of stuff uh a lot a lot to be said about people that are, are good at scaling up these things and it's, it's a real uh there's a lot of people that are really skilled at, at doing that and realizing where like the process is falling down, etc. Because it's it's you get so many different issues that crop up if you scale up um, a, a reaction or a, a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It must was it did that did that job provide its like frustrations when you know something that would work on a smaller scale wouldn't work on a larger scale? I mean, did that did that irritate you or did you actually get get through with it and get on with it quite well? Yeah, no, because it's all just problem solving, and I guess like that's part of part of science, and I guess mm-hmm. that's that's sort of one of the most enjoyable parts of science, and I uh, and I kind of enjoyed it. But um, but again, it's like the same as sort of like so I'm doing uh, obviously it's the same as sort of any research, I guess. Although it's a little bit more, I don't know, regimented, I guess. You've got you've got the recipe already there. You need to follow it sort of by the book, and if it doesn't work, then you start to play around with the uh, parameters. But there has been times though when I was in the uh, research department, sorry the scale uh, production team when I'd sort of try and follow this recipe and then inevitably something would go wrong or I'd sort of maybe miss a step and then and then and then have to do it after another step or whatever and and it sort of sometimes it leads to a sometimes it leads to a benefit in like the in the final product and it's um and it's the same uh same in research uh sometimes accidents can be like a happy accident you know yeah yeah, so it was, it's, it's um, the number of times where good luck has served me better than my own thinking is uh, doesn't doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also it's also the element of just sticking with something for an extended period of time because you'll uh, you'll go through a lot of different options and then the next step it seems in the in the grand scheme of things it seems like the next logical step but you possibly wouldn't have got there without the failures prior to that. So. Yeah. It's 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 part of the it's all part of the process really of just figuring out what doesn't work to eventually get to what works. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and mistakes are inevitable. And I think like as part of being a, it's like honestly, like, this is probably the biggest advice for like mm-hmm. young scientists or whatever. It's just like it's all about just observation and making sure you write everything down because if you like observe that you've done something differently, uh, uh, um, and then and it works and it works well, you know what you've done. You can just repeat that thing, but if you sort of just, like, I guess, a bit flippant about it, and you're not really, you're not like fully uh, concentrating, or you're not observing it fully, or writing it all down, even, mm-hmm. then, um, then yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna miss it. Yeah, I think that's a built built upon that is writing yourself, writing everything down, and failing. Yeah, because if if you, one of the the biggest things that I get with when I when I look after and kind of try to tutor master's students through their research project is they're so scared of failing but every time you fail as long as like you say as long as you write it down and write down what you did differently that's yeah. something you've learned it, it's a way that you've learned not to do it and there's only one way to do something there's millions of ways that you can not do something yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Also, also, I want to say the the phrase "mistakes are inevitable" is uh, is something <laughs> I would definitely write down. <laughs> yeah, mistakes mistakes are inevitable, and, and and as long as you learn something from them, then it's it's yeah, it's it's the only thing you can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You shouldn't shouldn't be so harsh on yourself sometimes you make a mistake yeah and i think i think that can put a lot of people off is if you think that you've got to be perfect then how how on earth could you do science and well you can't really do science yeah you've got to make yeah. mistakes exactly. Exactly. And, and like you said like you know there are so many scientific inventions uh you know uh penicillin pritstick notes uh, everything in between was purely by accident trying to do something yeah. different yeah yeah exactly Embrace those mistakes. Embrace. Yes, embrace them. There you go. There's another one. Embrace the mistake. We're so good with the inspirational quotes. I'm going to be able to find that. Be like the title. Embrace, embrace the mistakes. We can do that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But so, did you enjoy your time at Nanako, Joe, or did it did it have its ups and downs like anything else? Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time at uh, in production, and I was there for I was there for a couple of years, and then mm-hmm. um, and then when I moved over to research and development as well, I enjoyed my time there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the main that, the thing that I enjoyed the most from Nanako, I think, would be the uh, the fact that it was uh, such a, a new a new company and like always changing mm-hmm. every day. Um, yeah, and we sort of um, sort of from going from like AstraZeneca, who's like a the 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 like world leader of, of producing like anti-cancer drugs etc to, to go into the sort of like a a new startup company that um that was like a, a good a good contrast and i guess like so the, the the reason that we're making these nanoparticles as well by the way was like the quantum dots was for uh display applications so the idea yeah. is that televisions like especially of the like the best the best technology at the time was liquid crystal displays the the way that those displays work is that there's a a black backlight which is blue and then the blue light gets converted to white light uh using a phosphor and then the white light gets split again back into um red green and blue and because the light has come from blue the blue is like more intense than the red and the green Mm. and the idea is you put the you can put some quantum dots in the in the display some red ones and some green ones and you can boost the uh boost the uh, output of the reds and the greens and then and then you can turn down the backlight and get a, a, a blacker blacks and brighter colors so essentially you're like getting closer to uh uh sort of like the ideal um displays basically um, cool. it must be interesting to have worked at both ends of the chain then mm. you know going from going from a well-oiled machine to a machine that's trying to get up and running yeah yeah been. it was it was interesting and, and they both yeah they both come with their their good their good points and their and their bad points so yeah from hearing what you did at uh, kind of nanico that's it, the science is very different from what what you did at astrazeneca and even what you did for your fourth, fourth year masters so yeah. like why a why did you move and and b why did you move to something so different yeah um so I guess I guess I moved. Um, I didn't mention briefly. So I moved, I moved because I was on a temporary contract, and I knew that it was it was ending in like three mm. months when I found the place at Nanaka. Um, plus, I, I I sort of had I I knew a couple of people already that worked at Nanaka. Um, um, one guy um, that I did my undergraduate in chemistry. Mm. Uh, he he was already working there, and he sort of had some good things to say about it. Yeah, and um, and I guess the science um, enticed me as well because, yeah, because it was different and because I wanted um, 
and I, I'm not sort of I'm not, I'm not I guess I'm I guess I wanted to change. I'm not I'm not, not maybe not I don't want change, but it's, I guess I'm not scared of change. I guess like I uh, yeah. I kind of fancied the new challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. very admirable. Yeah, study. You know, if you study something for for a while, some people want to learn more about it. Other people go, okay, I know I know some stuff about that. Now, what's what's next? What's new? What what else can I go to? It's yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. a good, good good reason. Cool. Yeah. So quantum dots again, though that's that's still different from what you ended up doing as a PhD. So how did that transition go? Mm. So um, yeah, I mean, it's it was. Do you know what actually the the two things quantum, working on quantum dots and and working on these um, dispersions uh, of of two D materials there's a lot of similarities so I guess they're both colloids they're both sort of I work a lot with semiconductors now and these quantum dots are semiconductors um, you're interested in things like quantum confinement and stuff which which like um, which like changes the band gap of these these materials and and uh, so, so, so uh, why is that important? Sorry, why is it, so? You said that the quantum dots change the band gap. Why is that important? Uh, uh, well, this is this is how they're this is how they're tunable. This is how um, this is how you can tune the uh, the the wavelength of the of the light that's emitted from the from the from the quantum dots. Um, as the quantum dots get bigger, they they emit uh, a different color, and it, the color gets redder. When and the the redder something is, the sort of less energy it has. And the reason for that is that the blue quantum dots, the smaller uh, quantum dots, are really quantum confined, um, and uh, it's a really, it's a really deep sort of uh, topic. <laughs> I probably can't talk about it uh, for too long, but um, it's uh, it, it basically when because it's quantum confined, um, the the emission um, is 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 a higher energy. Uh, the yeah, the band gap gets sort of like slightly bigger. And then mm-hmm. the electron falls uh, further. <laughs> so the the energy sort of uh, the energy gap that the electron sort of um, experiences when it falls from that higher energy, the excited state into the ground state is 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 a higher energy and a therefore bluer light. And so okay, yeah, this was this was this was what it was for the uh, quantum dot stuff. Um, but then it still crops up in my in my current sort of studies in my PhD. Like mm-hmm. um, you, you you sort of uh, yeah, you see, you see it popping up. It's a way of, it's a sort of, you, you can characterize things using spectroscopic means, looking at the actual color of the light that goes in and uh, that gets absorbed and the color of the light that gets, that gets admit, uh, emitted. And you can make an estimation as to how, like, how bulky the, the 2D materials are, I guess. Cool. So yeah, I, I, know, I know just on, on the, not going too much detail into quantum mechanics, Niels Bohr once said that anyone who says they understand quantum mechanics clearly hasn't understood it very well at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a very tricky topic and it's not one I know very well. Um, but I know writers like Jim Al-Khalili have got books out there that kind of explain it so that you feel like you understand it, but then you stop reading the book and someone says, oh, what were you reading about? And uh, you're like, oh, I, I can't explain it. <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm not gonna lie i started sweating a little bit when i explained <laughs> <that>. <laughs> oh, yeah. but it's, it's it's all about like the, the band gaps it's the movement of electrons isn't it to, sure. to kind of which which generates these kind of wavelength of light yeah yeah um so so yeah so now you're working on semiconductors in your phd or they, they crop up um what 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 what's your phd been like uh yeah, great. Um, it was a bit. It was a bit. Um, it was a bit. I guess hmm, it was. It was weird. It was kind of a bit. 
I had to adapt to it. It was, yes. it was it was sort of the same direction as all well, So from AstraZeneca to Nanoco, things were sort of a bit less well-oiled, like a little bit more disorganised, and people the, <laughs> the company itself was trying to like find its feet a little bit in, in comparison to AstraZeneca. Um, um, and then again from Nanoco into a PhD, it's just. I mean, I don't want to say it's not disorganized, but it's just <laughs> everything is just like on you to organize. So it's yeah. sort of, it is not. So the responsibilities are different. Yeah, that's, that's mm. why I asked the question of how did you find the PhD is you've gone kind yeah. of the, the opposite way to traditional, if you like, yeah. instead of going from kind of university to and eventually ending up at this well-oiled machine, you've gone kind of from well-oiled machine backwards. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, it's, so, an interesting, it's, it's an interesting way to go into it. Yeah. Um, you, have, have you have you relished that extra kind of responsibility, or have you have, have you found it a bit of a pain? Yeah, I I I like it. I um I find that I um I find that I do well in the PhD environment. And actually, I um I probably would have um I probably would have gone for a PhD um straight away coming out of um chemistry undergrad. Um, mm. And I and I actually uh, I I posed the question to to uh, the, the lecturer that was sort of um, looking after me during my dissertation, uh, like, is there any PhD sort of positions available? And uh, there wasn't any at the time, so that's why I went into industry. I'm glad I did, because like, I got like a yeah. lot of good experience doing that, but I always as well had in the back of my mind that I wanted to do a PhD at some point. Yeah, so why was that? I just wanted uh, everyone to call me doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can, we can, we we can all say, say so. That's I say so, the same reason we all want a PhD. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember when I was twelve, I read an article about doing a PhD. That was pretty much when I first knew they existed as a thing because one of my yeah. teachers had one, uh, and it was like, don't just do a PhD if you want to be called doctor. And then you get to doing a PhD, and you're like, oh, why are you doing a PhD? And everyone wants to be called doctor. But, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that, and I guess, I guess, and like sort of um, the challenge, yeah. and um, and yeah, I guess, I guess, like sort of for career purposes as well, you mm. can actually, you can sort of you expect that you would start on a slightly higher salary or in a better position, and I guess mm. you get more options as well, like maybe, maybe in terms of uh, sort of being able to work abroad, etc. Yeah, yeah, having a PhD on on your CV is a big kind of. Yeah yes i am a skilled employee if you want to kind of you know go to a different country yeah mm. no it's, it's good good reasons you know every, it, unfortunately in this capitalist world everyone wants more money like that's that's what makes the world run yeah. so it's uh it, it, it's it's good amount of motivation as well as you know the challenge so phds are challenging everyone knows that and that's kind of you, you want you want to learn more about the science you want to challenge yourself and yeah. it's um do you think thinking thinking about like the, the challenge of it because you kind of your 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 AstraZeneca job and the job at Nanoco, they both kind of introduced you to different levels of challenge. I imagine. Do you think you like you say you valued the experience of these jobs? Do you think they were essential? Do you think you would have done as well if you'd gone straight into that PhD from going from your undergraduate, or do you think you've done better now you've had that experience? Um, yeah, I think I think I I'm I'm happy I got the experience because. Mm. Um, for a couple of reasons like firstly i think that i did like just meet a lot of people and learn a better sort of uh learn from these people like a better like like work ethic i guess and mm -hmm. like and that a lot of people sort of taught me to um 
uh, and another, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I went down the, the route of doing a, a master's degree in chemistry, but I still feel as though after working with, with sort of these like really inspiring people, a lot of people who had like PhDs as well, um, I feel like they, they instilled a lot of like, um, a lot of like the right uh, mindset and, and skills that mm. I sort of have used in my PhD. Um, and also, um, uh, yeah, I forgot what the second one was. <laughs> 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 um, and also, the first one was okay, 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 I remember that. I remember so, <laughs> the second. The second one. Um, so, uh, like I mentioned before, like I, I, I thought I did. I did actually want to do a PhD coming out of my uh, coming out of chemistry, um, but um, it would have been a PhD in chemistry. And I'm actually glad that I'm not doing a PhD in chemistry because, um, although I'm sure I would have enjoyed it. Um, I think I prefer material science. I think it's more um, like uh, varied, a bit more rounded. Yeah. Um, includes mm -hmm. some chemistry elements, but it also includes some physics elements, and um, mm -hmm. and so yeah, I uh, uh, that's my second reason. <laughs> no, yeah. I think I think that's that's a very good reason. Like I, I'm I'm very happy that I've gone into materials mm -hmm. because my, my project is predominantly chemistry, but it's the people I'm surrounded by and not chemistry. And that is interesting. Like, like you, Joe, you are from a chemistry background, but when I, mm. you know, when I talk to you about your work, it's completely not what I'm doing. It's completely different. Sure. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's, it's like a different aspect of science completely. Yeah. And it's super interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that, I think that's also one of the benefits of a PhD is that you get to, you get to surround yourself and come into contact with lots of different professions and different skill sets as well. So mm -hmm. it's like, it's constant it's like it's like constant curiosity <laughs> in terms yeah. of like you get multiple people come up to you explain what they do and it's all incredibly interesting so, yeah. yeah i mean some of them it's not but uh but you know uh, yeah you get you get tired of all these people going on about graphene <laughs> yes, oh. God, especially me <laughs> oh no, yeah i mean like josh shut up we get it it's a wonder material <laughs> Supposedly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, it, 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 that's that's one of the. I, I think that's one of the great benefits of doing a PhD as well. Yeah, so, no, completely agree. Yeah. So we've kind of gone gone through your career in quite a lot of detail there. Um, so as now a kind of slightly more light-hearted thing, maybe uh, what do you enjoy outside of work? Like, because a lot of people view scientists as very single-minded. Science is my life. Yeah. Um, but you know, from talking to scientists, from being a scientist, you know that's not true. It, we we are normal people who have normal likes and dislikes. So what what do you, what do you do outside of work? Um, well, I think like most people, I enjoy the pub. Yeah, um, <laughs> and um, especially most PhDs. A lot of PhDs, uh, a lot of students drink, don't they? <laughs> students. A lot, a lot of, of uh, a lot of academics drink. I'd say. Yeah, academics. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, socializing the pub, yeah, uh, Joshua Brooks. Um, <laughs> not, and, not a sponsor, uh, yeah. <laughs> they should be though, they should be, it should be classed as a student pub. We'll call them up, we'll call them up, yeah. Um, yeah, the pub, I can I can't stop thinking about the pub now, I miss, I miss it so much. Oh, this coronavirus, it's the saddest <sighs> thing, we can't go to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
yeah, I enjoy I enjoy gaming. Um, I've always enjoyed gaming, um, and uh, I have some very weird hobbies as well. So I um, I'm into uh, slacklining and um, yo-yo. And okay, you're gonna have to explain when yeah, you say yeah. slacklining and to... yo-yo. Do you mean <laughs> yeah. yo-yos as in yo-yos, yo-yos? Yeah, like the like the old '90s toy. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I never it's... stopped playing with yo-yos. Oh, <laughs> Is nice. slacklining a similar thing? No. Um, Slacklining is uh, totally different. It's uh, sort of like tightrope, but the but the but the line is slack and slackline. Yeah. So more dangerous. Uh, <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I think generally we we do it from like a fairly low height, so that if you. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Although yeah, I mean you you got people that do it um, over sort of canyons and stuff, and, and mm. a lot of crazy people that do these high lines and stuff. And, I've never, I've not, I've not gone to that level yet. But, um, <laughs> but, I, but I have actually combined the two, yo-yoing and slacklining, um, and uh, and I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how popular that is as a sport. But uh, you need to, uh, right? You need to get some videos and put them on YouTube. You already I know have some, some people would. You have, you, oh my goodness! Yeah. I please send me a link. You already have videos. You, yeah, I'll send you. One. Please send me a link. I will put it in the description to this podcast and send pe- other people there, hopefully. And that'll, yeah. that'll be the Sounds thumbnail. Amazing. That'll be the thumbnail for this podcast. It's just going to be Joe slacklining whilst yo-yoing. Cool. I mean, yeah. that sounds utterly terrifying. I am terribly afraid of heights. So it sounds like my worst nightmare, but very cool. I thought you were say terribly afraid of yo-yo. I am absolutely terrified. A yo-yo killed my mother when I was six, Josh. <laughs> Why would you bring this up? Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to bring it up Freak on the phone. yo-yo accident. <laughs> Actually, no, I, no. I heard that they were developed to be weapons, yo-yos. I don't know if that's really? true or not, but I have heard this. Yeah, I guess that like, could be like, like around. I was just about to say, yeah, it could be like, yeah, you know, the first, first, if you, first uses was, uh, if you sharpen the edges, the boomerang was used for hunting. Yeah. To get the legs. Yeah. Well, it kind of makes it kind of makes sense with the yo-yo as well because it's like a what's it called a bolo, which is like a ball attached a bowler. To a, yeah, a bowl, yeah, and it's attached to a string and you swing it. Yeah, uh, so yeah, and you can release it or a mace. You know, it's it's all along the similar idea. It's it's yeah, like yeah. a mace that comes back to you. <laughs> which do you want that? <laughs> do you want a mace that comes back to you? <laughs> I mean, you do, but you want. I suppose the maces have the advantage of a very short chain. I'm not sure you want a bowler that comes back to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's a that's a cool hobby though joe yeah, yeah. that's a very cool answer to that that that, that question yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. I, I feel like I, I i need to ask the question about slacklining is there like a belt system you know like with karate uh, like a black belt um <laughs> black walker no not that i know of no okay. um it's just yeah who can who can walk on the like longest line the longer it gets the harder it gets also yeah, the okay. sort of the, the the narrower the line is the harder it gets and the slacker it is the harder it gets so yeah i guess you try and combine those three things to make it sort of challenging to walk on and then you get some people that are so good like they can they can walk along this like this like this line that just spans the entire le- length of this field like a sort of a football pitch length um oh line and they can like walk it um blindfolders and stuff it's just like wow that's insane insane. a a much higher degree of balance than i am capable of (laughs) (laughs) 
Jack, you need well, to see this video of me yo yoing on a flat line. It's, uh, it's I'm yeah. going to. I will be terrified throughout. <laughs> measure my heart rate, but no, it's really uh, well. it sounds incredible. And I'm going to make a suggestion. Since you blended yo yoing and slack lining, you should definitely blend slack lining and gaming. Get a switch <laughs> and then play on Pokemon while slacklining. Yeah, yeah. No, Definitely. play on play on um, Assassin's Creed and go down a uh... <laughs> free run while slacklining. Free yeah. run while slacklining. Yes, <laughs> you've got it. <laughs> oh, no, very very cool hobbies there, Joe. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So brilliant, right? Well, I suppose that's a natural place to kind of come to towards the end. That's mm-hmm. a super interesting chat about kind of your life, basically, Joe. Kind of especially slacklining, which is a new thing that I'm going to go and watch YouTube videos about. <laughs> um, so, final question, and it's just a bit of a fun thing that I ask everyone at the end: mm-hmm. If you had to title, if you were to write your inevitable autobiography, mm-hmm. but if you had to title it right now. What would its title be? <laughs> um, I think we already we already got there before. I think embrace embrace mistakes, or maybe I don't know. Um, embrace um, the mistakes works. Yeah. yeah. What was the other one? Uh, mistakes are inevitable. Mistakes are inevitable. Em- embrace your mistakes. <laughs> yeah. So mistakes are inevitable. Colon make, embrace your mistakes. Yeah. Or maybe like make the most of your mistakes. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> We prefer to make the most of the, mis- the mistakes. Making, making the most of inevitable mistakes by Joe Nielsen. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah and, um, and the title of this podcast will be Mistakes Have Been Made. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's how I'll feel after editing all of this. Um... <laughs> <laughs> right well yeah that that only leaves me to thank you very much joe that was incredibly interesting thank you for kind of agreeing to come on and thank you for talking to us yeah no problem um, at all. Yeah, thanks joe yeah. Yeah. yeah so um i think we should uh say goodbye bye okay. bye um, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> bye everyone sweet dreams um <laughs>